0: Welcome to Harvest with Greg Laurie. This TV show is all about helping you get to know God better because God loves you and God has a plan for you and God wants to transform your life and he's told us everything you need to know about him and life in general in this book, The Bible, The User's Manual of Life. So we're gonna be talking about what the Bible says and what God wants to do in your life. Again, welcome and God bless you. in the culture to influence it, to make a difference. God is not calling us as believers to isolate, but rather to infiltrate, to influence. and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. The gospel. Now, we've all heard that term, of course, and we throw it around a lot. We use it to describe everything from a certain kind of music, gospel music, or if we're trying to emphasize that we're actually seeing something truthful, we might say, listen, man, this is the gospel truth. But what is the gospel? Did you know that only one-third of Americans even know what the term means? And yet we're told to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, how are we going to do that if we don't understand what the gospel is? So I want to talk a little bit about that with you right now. The gospel message. You probably know that the word gospel means good news. And I think before we can fully appreciate the good news, we have to first know the bad news. What's the bad news? Here it is. Every one of us have sinned. The Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then we're told over in 1 John, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So it's clear that we're all Sinners. Now, sometimes you might be talking with a non believer and you'll tell them they're a sinner and they'll say, Well, actually, I'm not a sinner. So you may have to break that down for them because you can't necessarily assume they even know what the term means. There are different words used in the Bible to describe sin. One definition of sin is a trespass. In the book of Ephesians, it says that we're dead in our trespass in our sin. It's interesting two words are used. The word trespass means exactly what it says. It's crossing a line. For instance, here at the pier, if a big storm came in and they had to shut it down, you'd probably see a sign that says no trespassing. So when we commit a trespass, it means that we cross the line that God has set. What is that line? Well, we find it in the Ten Commandments, you shall not lie, you shall not steal, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. If you break one of those commandments, you've crossed the line. So when talking with the non-believer, you might say, have you ever stolen? Have you ever lied? Have you ever taken God's name in vain? Well, if they're honest, they'll say, well, yeah. Then you've committed a sin. Again, here's the bad news. The book of James says, if we offend in one point of the law, we're guilty of all of it. One sin is enough to keep us out of heaven. And then there's the other definition of the word sin, which comes from a Greek word, harmatia, which means to miss a mark. And it was based on the ancient game of archery. Let's say you and I were competing, and we each had 10 arrows, and we walked up, and our goal is to get all of our arrows in the bullseye. So you went up there, and you fired nine of your arrows, and they all went in the bullseye, and one was just a little off. You missed the mark. Now let's say that I went up there and all ten of my arrows not only did not hit the bullseye, they didn't even hit the target. In fact, one hit you in the arm. Okay, granted, I did worse than you, but listen, God's goal is absolute perfection. So if I'm not perfect, I've missed the mark. Jesus said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So that's the bad news. We've all sinned. We've all crossed the line. We've all fallen short of God's standard. Ah, here's the good news. Two thousand years ago, while we were yet sinners, the Bible says Christ died for us. He died in our place. He He took our place on the cross. Jesus came to pay a debt He did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. And sometimes people will say, "Well, I, I don't think I really need Jesus. I'm a happy person and my life is going well." But yeah, they're still a sinner. You see, that's what we want to emphasize. And as I've already said one sin is enough to keep you out of heaven. Now here's an example. There's a story in the New Testament about a brash young man that came to Jesus one day. He was wealthy, he was powerful, he was a religious man. We often call him the rich young ruler. He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good? There's no one good except God. Then Jesus lists a number of commandments that this man should be keeping this guy foolishly said all of these commandments i've kept since i've been a little boy and then we read jesus looked at him and loved him but here's the point jesus quotes the commandments why because it's possible that we can keep all of them and then get to heaven no he quoted the commandments to simply show no one keeps all the commandments that's why it's so ridiculous this young guy said i've kept all of these from my youth we all break these commandments in fact God did not give the commandments or the law as it's called to make us righteous he gave it to us to show us how unrighteous we are it's sort of like a moral mirror I look at God's standards and I realize how far short I fall the commandments open my eyes and they shut my mouth so when you're speaking with people you need to really establish that they are sinners and they need the Savior Let me say something that might surprise you. I think there are good people out there. In fact, I've met people who aren't Christians that I think are nicer than some Christians I've met. Right? But here's the problem. Being a good person, being a nice person will not get you into heaven because heaven is not for good people. Heaven is for forgiven people. Okay? And we've all fallen short. Here's the bottom line. When we say a person is not good. We're not saying that there are not people who have done good things. What we're saying is no one's good enough. There are good people in general, but no one's good enough to get to heaven on their own merit. And the person might say to you, well, what are you saying? You're good enough? No, I'm a sinner too. And that's where Jesus comes in because he paid the price for us. God poured His own wrath and anger on Jesus, who died in our place. Romans five six to eight says, "When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. No one's likely to die for a good person, though someone might be willing to die for someone who's especially good. But God showed His great love toward us, though we were yet sinners. Christ died for us because there was no way that." Greg Laurie or any of us could satisfy the righteous demands of God God sent his son to die in our place because we faced a future in hell Jesus died for us now if you dare use the word hell get ready because you're going to get pushback people don't like to hear the word hell this is I think one of the reasons Christians skirt the subject I don't really want to talk about hell but listen, if you only promise the glories of heaven and you don't warn about the reality of hell, you're not declaring the whole gospel. I'm not saying we should focus primarily on hell, but we certainly shouldn't edit it out of the message. So you might be sharing the gospel with someone saying, you know, Jesus is filled the void in my life and I have joy and peace and I'm so happy. Hey, that's cool, man. I can see religion's done a lot for you. I'm happy for you. But I don't really have a void in my life, they might say, and I, don't, I already feel pretty good. You know, in fact, I drink a couple of beers. I've got a good buzz going on, so I'm happy. And I'm, I like the way my life is going. And, and I don't think I need what you have. Oh. So what happens to me when I die? Well, do you like warm climates? Wait. <laughs> See, here's the thing. You're focusing on the fringe benefits of salvation, and you're not addressing the core issue. The fringe benefits of salvation are peace, purpose, fulfillment, joy. But the biggest thing about salvation, you wanna know what it is? You're not going to hell anymore. You're going to heaven now. That's the biggest thing. You have to know that, okay, so. (laughs) If I only offer Jesus as sort of an additive, like a new product out on the market that will make their teeth whiter and give them more spring in their step, That's not true gospel preaching. I have to tell them the truth that you're separated from God by sin and there is a place called hell. Now, you might be surprised to know that most Americans believe in some kind of an afterlife. 82% of Americans believe in heaven and 70% believe in hell. So a lot of people believe in hell. (laughs) They just don't think they're going there. Because for every American who believes he's going to hell, there's 120 who believe they're going to heaven. But that's in direct contradiction to what Jesus said because he said in Matthew 7, broad is the way that leads to destruction and many there are that go that way but narrow is the way that leads to life and few there are that find it. And know this, you can't edit hell out of scripture. Did you know Jesus spoke more about hell and all the other preachers in the Bible put together? That surprises some people. Why? Because he and he alone knows the horrors and reality of hell. G.I. Packer said, quote, an endless hell can no more be removed from the New Testament than an endless heaven can, end quote. Hey everybody, Greg Laurie with some thoughts on the devil. I know we don't like to talk about him, but it's important to understand our adversary. Let me tell you something that might surprise you about Satan he is quite orthodox in his beliefs. Now, let me explain. I'm not suggesting that he's a believer by any stretch of the imagination. Actually, he is the great opponent to God. But for instance, the Bible says the demons believe and tremble. The devil knows and the demons know that God is real. The devil is neither agnostic nor atheist. Number two, The devil believes that Jesus is God because in the temptation in the wilderness, he said to Christ, if you're the son of God, turn this rock into a piece of bread. But a better translation would be, since you're the son of God. The devil also believes the Bible is the word of God. He hates it, he opposes it, but he knows it's true. And he also knows that Jesus is coming back again. We read in Revelation that the devil knows he has a little time, and that is why he is wrecking so much havoc in the last days and yes I believe we're living in the last days so the devil is active trying to cause trouble trying to keep people from coming to christ trying to cause division among christians and on the list goes if the devil and the demons are so motivated to do their dirty work as christ is approaching should we not as christians be doing as much if not more Uh, let's apply ourselves jesus is coming Let's tell someone about him and engage them in a conversation about Christ.
1: From the best-selling author of Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, and Steve McQueen, The Salvation of an American Icon, comes Greg Laurie's new book titled, Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, which traces the rise, fall, and sometimes redemption journeys of famous rock gods who are brought to their knees and look up to finally meet the one true God. It's all on the pages of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus. You'll discover the excess in self-absorption, but also of sweet salvation in the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. Greg uses his own memories, interviews, and observation to draw from the lives of rock legends. As they descend to the depths of hell before ascending to the highest heaven. Request your copy of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus when you give today.
0: Now here's what's going to be asked next. You already know it. I don't even have to tell you. Oh, wait a second. They act like they dreamed this question up themselves. How can a God of love send someone to hell? Right? How many of you have heard that question? Of course you have. Okay, here's your answer. Because he's a God of love and justice, he invented hell. But know this. Hell was not made for people. Hell was created according to Jesus for the devil and his angels. If a person ends up in hell, God is in effect giving them what they wanted all along. C.S. Lewis summed it up this way. There are two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, in the end, thy will be done. Lewis concludes, all that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell, end quote. Timothy Keller wrote, Quote, people only get in the afterlife what they have most wanted, either to have God as Savior and Master or to be their own Saviors and Masters. Hell is simply one's freely chosen path going on forever. We wanted to get away from God and God in his infinite justice sends us where we wanted to go. End quote. See, it's not that God's sending anyone to hell. It's that you send yourself there because you're living this life you want to live without God and God's saying, well, I'm going to give you that free will and you can go on. But listen, you're going to have to kind of climb over my dead body to get there because I sent my son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in your place so you don't have to go to this place called hell. Listen, the last thing that God wants is is for any man or woman made in his image to spend eternity separated from him in this place called hell. I mean, that's really true. The last thing God wants is for any man or woman uniquely made in his image to spend all eternity in this place called hell. I mean, think about it this way. Let's say you're walking down the street and you saw a house was on fire. You heard people screaming, Would you do something to help the people? I mean, at the very least, would you call 911? You might even go in the house and try to help somebody. But to keep walking, well, that's not just being indifferent. That's downright criminal. See, we've got the message of the gospel, the only message that can change a person's eternal address from a place called hell to a place called heaven. Listen, heaven is not the default destination of every person. They need to put their faith in Christ They have their ticket, if you will, to get to heaven. Really, why was Jesus uniquely qualified to bridge the gap between holy God and sinful humanity? Because Jesus is the only person who ever walked this earth who was the God-man. Not just a good man, the God-man. Not man becoming God, that's impossible, but God becoming a man. Jesus was fully God, yet he was fully man. So when he hung on the cross and they pounded those spikes through his hands and his feet, in effect, with one hand, he took hold of that holy God that we've all offended by our sin. And with the other hand, he took hold of sinful humanity. And those spikes were driven through and he died there for us. And he effectively bridged that gap. The Bible says, There is no other name given under heaven whereby a man can be saved. Jesus is not one of many choices. He's the only choice. He's our only home. And we need to proclaim this message to people. Now, let me say something that may surprise you. I do believe all roads lead to God. So, if someone says, I believe all roads lead to God, you can say, yeah, I believe that too. Whatever road you're on, you'll get to God. If you're a believer, if you're a non believer, you'll get to God. But only one road leads to heaven. See the difference? So you can live without God but one day you'll stand before God, even the atheist will stand before God because the Bible says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you'll stand before God and then you'll face your sins. And if you said no to Jesus Christ you'll face the repercussions of those sins So a road will lead you to God, but only one road will get you into heaven, and that is the road through Jesus Christ, who died in our place and satisfied the righteous demands of God. Listen, here's the bottom line. When you're sharing the gospel, you wanna know what you gotta make a beeline to. Ready for this? You make a beeline to the cross. The essence of the gospel message is not your testimony. That's just a bridge to get started. The essence of the gospel message is not just that Jesus will make you a happier person, though he will do that for you, the essence of the gospel message is, I don't have to go to hell, I can go to heaven because Jesus Christ died on the cross. Paul said, brothers, First Corinthians two, when I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom, I just don't want to know anything else among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul says then in 1 Corinthians 1, 17, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Years ago, I was in Billy Graham's home, a great honor, the greatest evangelist who's ever lived in human history. And it's kind of intimidating to hang around Billy Graham, I'll tell you. And even though I'd gotten to know him quite well, I was still nervous and we're sitting at the table. and His wife Ruth, who's now in heaven, had made us a wonderful lunch of fried chicken and they had one of those little lazy Susans there on the table. You know, those are those little things, you turn them around and, and so we're eating and, and Billy turned to me and he said, Greg, would you like a Coke? And he, it's just, when he said Coke, it's just, you know, the way Billy spoke, whatever he said, it sounded authoritative, you know. Do you want a Coke? Yes. I don't even like Coke, but I want it because the way you said it. Coke. So I'm drinking the Coke I didn't really want. And I'm thinking, i got to ask Billy a question. When am I going to get a chance like this again? i got to ask him a question. My mind went blank. Finally, a question came. I know what I'll ask him. I said, Billy, let me ask you this. If an older Billy was speaking to a younger Billy, what advice would you give yourself what would you say, as someone who's done this for years, to a younger version of you, without skipping a beat? But he said, I would preach more on the cross and the blood of Christ, that's where the power is. Wow, this evangelist remembered that. And what's true of a preacher is true of a Christian. When you're talking to someone about Jesus, you talk about the blood that he shed. You talk about the death that he died. You talk about his resurrection. Here's the problem. Sometimes in our attempt to cross over, we don't bring the cross over. We want to be cool. We want to relate. We want to get along. And we want them to like us. But there's gonna come a moment where you're gonna to have to get to the bottom line and say, tell them they're a sinner Tell them there's a judgment. Tell them Jesus died on the cross. But that's what the power is. Don't miss that stuff. I heard presentations of the gospel, so-called, that never mention the cross. And as far as I'm concerned, that's not a presentation of the gospel at all. This is the message we are to share. Okay, so here's your assignment for this coming week. You want to go... Tell someone the gospel. Again, what is the gospel? Remember, it means good news. But before we can fully appreciate the good news, we have to also know the bad. The bad news is we've all sinned against God. We've crossed that line. That's trespasses. We've fallen short of his glory. And that's where Jesus comes in because we can't save ourselves. We need a savior. And we want to make a beeline to the cross. The cross is where the power is. And as i said earlier sometimes in our attempts to cross over we forget to bring the cross over there's power in this message of the cross that's why paul said i don't want to hear anything else among you except jesus christ and him crucified and paul also wrote uh, he is not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of god to salvation to everyone who believes and that word for power is an interesting word it's a greek word dunamis we get our english word dynamite from it paul is effectively saying there's explosive power in the message of the gospel so look for someone you can tell this week about jesus christ look for an opportunity actually they're everywhere so here's your homework assignment for this week go tell someone So the mission is clear. We're commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel, to share the good news anytime, anywhere. So go to your family, go to your neighborhood, go to your workplace, go to your sphere of influence, go and tell someone. Maybe God has spoken to your heart. And you have seen your need for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came from heaven to this earth. He was born in a manger. He died on a cross. He rose again from the dead. Why? Because He loves you. And He wants a relationship with you. Listen, I'm not talking about religion. I don't want to be a religious person. I don't think you want to be one either. I'm talking about relationship with God. Jesus, who died and rose again, stands at the door of your life and he knocks and he says, if you'll hear his voice and open the door, he will come in. Question, have you asked Jesus Christ to come and live inside of you? You might say, well, I I think so, I'm not sure. Hey, if someone moved into your house in the middle of the night, do you think you would be aware of it? I'm sure you would. And in the same way, if Christ has come to live inside of you, you will know. And if you don't know, Maybe he has not come in yet. He's just a prayer away. All you need to do is say, Jesus, I want this relationship with you. I want you to forgive me of my sin. I want to go to heaven when I die. Would you like to do that? Would you like Christ to come into your life? If so, why don't you just pray this simple prayer with me? You could pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. But this is a prayer where you're asking Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord. Pray this with me now. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that you're the Savior who died on the cross for my sin and rose again from the dead. Now come into my life. I choose to follow you from this moment forward. Thank you for hearing this prayer and answering this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you just pray that prayer with me? If so, I want you to know in the authority of Scripture that Christ himself has come to live inside of you. And I would love to send to you at no charge something called the New Believer's Bible. It's a very friendly translation of the New Testament. You'll find very understandable. And it's filled with hundreds of notes that I wrote that will encourage you in this commitment you've just made to follow Jesus. Let me send that to you at no charge. And let me be the first to say to you, Congratulations, and welcome to the family of God.
1: From the best-selling author of Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, and Steve McQueen, The Salvation of an American Icon, comes Greg Laurie's new book, titled Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, which traces the rise, fall, and sometimes redemption journeys of famous rock gods who are brought to their knees and look up to finally meet the one true God. It's all on the pages of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus. You'll discover the excess in self-absorption, but also of sweet salvation in the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. Greg uses his own memories, interviews, and observation to draw from the lives of rock legends as they descend to the depths of hell before ascending to the highest heaven. Request your copy of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus when you give today.
0: Hey Southern California, Greg Laurie here. You know, there's nothing like gathering together in person to worship the Lord and hear the Word of God. And I want to personally invite you to live worship at our church campuses. There's two you can choose from. Our service times are nine in the morning and 11 in the morning. So join us as we meet both inside and outside every Sunday morning.